Hello, hello, I'm Sarah. And I'm Joanna. And we are your therapists next door. Join us as we demystify therapy and destigmatize mental health. Every episode, we interview a healthcare professional. It's sometimes serious, sometimes sad, most times ridiculous. Hmm. This week, we welcome Jocelyn Fitzgerald, who works as an art therapist and an EMDR consultant. Welcome everyone to Therapist Next Door, the podcast that shows you the human side of your friendly neighborhood healthcare worker. We do this by interviewing someone in the helping profession, asking questions you want the answers to, and answering questions you didn't know you had. Mm. I'm Joanna, Mm. a board-certified music therapist and a licensed professional counselor in the state of Pennsylvania. I'm a white, straight, cisgendered female, and my pronouns are she, hers, and I am over the stairs. I'm over walking up them. I'm over walking down them. I have have a lot of stairs. Yeah, I have to have like a base camp at every level of my house because it's just so much. So just like all the all the necessities are just there's one (laughs) like a hammock and water, (laughs) you know, like a like a you know, like when people are on marathons and they go by those stations. It's you know, (laughs) and and a a a physical therapist recently told me to start going up up the stairs sideways, which then takes twenty minutes. Uh, like like great finding up. Yeah, like holding on to the <laughs> the, mm. the um, banister like a little mouse and just like inching up. Um, it takes a long time. I don't do it every time because it takes so long. Yeah, I get that. I'm I'm really a picturing just a person with one of those little like card tables of water, <laughs> like yeah. the four ounce pours, just handing it to you as you get up like step six. And they're oh. like, you got it, you got it, yeah. I, and yeah. I'm Sarah, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Sarah, an LPC from Pennsylvania, transplant from South Jersey. I'm a cishet white woman. I pronounce her she/her, and I recently did my first uh, paint and sip. class how did it go (laughs) it was fun I I think it was less less like your you may envision immediately it was like run by this conservation center in I visited a friend in Jersey and we went over there if anybody knows the Pine Barrens I know check out yeah yeah we know of them they're haunted they also have a (laughs) conservation center (laughs) um, in Medford New Jersey Uh, but beautiful beautiful establishment and they have an actual artist who comes in and gives those you know byo classes to members of the conservation and it was really cool i painted a little uh, sky with water and a background and and a foreground nice it had it had four corners i did a great job we might need to see this painting i will totally post about it i was okay, having good. flashbacks to i had like i was like a comprehensive art art artist in high school and then I mean I I shouldn't give air quotes listeners I gave air quotes don't ever don't ever diss yourself I loved art in high school and I didn't wasn't able to facilitate that love into college or chose not to and I felt it coming back hooray really nice also perfect timing for the interview we have today um yeah which yeah definitely 
I've got some more stairs stories. Do you want to? Hear? Okay, tell me more stairs stories. <laughs> because uh, thank you, you for were... thank you for doling them out across our time. <laughs> uh, because when you were talking about um, people with at card tables handing handing out, um, that actually did happen to me because I ran up all of the stairs of the Comcast Center. Um, I think with a previous guest, Ali Lynn. Uh, <laughs> I remember that. I remember that. And that was like the worst thing I've ever done <laughs> voluntarily. <laughs> How many, how many floors did you have to go up? Uh, like 40, maybe. It seems like it should be more than that. I, I practiced in my building by running up eight floors, taking the elevator down, running up eight floors, taking the elevator down. But I was not prepared the day of, whoa. I mean, I made it all the way up, but like, it was a lot. It was a lot of effort on my part. That's really incredible. I remember, I remember that. I remember you talking about going to go do that. And I was like, oh, have a great time. <laughs> I've always wanted but, to do something like that. And it, yeah, it felt like a yeah. nice, like, okay, Joanna, sometimes you don't have to do yeah. the things that you've always wanted to do. Cause like, they're not fun. Yeah. Yeah. Or even like, you know, you don't have to do them a second time, which is like a nice gift yeah. to give yourself. And for those that don't know, the Comcast building is or I guess at the time, I'm not sure if it still is, but it was the tallest building in Philly. Um, yeah, it was. It, yeah, it's, it's a tall building. Comcast lives here, so. Yeah, it was a really tall building. Feel our pain. It was cool to get to the top, but I was like, oh. I think there's a picture of me yeah. with like a very red face at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, but I made it. And now I can't yeah. go up like three, like two flights of stairs without being like, oh, where's my water? Yeah. Sounds like in both situations, your body is responding appropriately <laughs> to, so. to what we're working with. Yeah. 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 I think so. Yeah. 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 Uh, do you have any housekeeping? You know, every time I'm like, do I have housekeeping? And every time I'm like, I don't remember anything I say okay. <laughs> in episodes. Um, right. I could give a longer explanation, which I'm sure I could give you a thesis on how I don't have any housekeeping pieces. Um, and this is the end of it. How about you? Do you have any housekeeping? Um, I don't have anything I have to change. I just, I think we should say that we're going on a hiatus starting in June, um, for the summer, but we will be back in September. So Mm -hmm. get ready. We'll be recording through the summer. So yeah, this isn't one of those. We'll be back. We're not coming back. We are going to be, you know, working to the best of our abilities. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, so June to June through August, right? Or I guess mid June through August. Did we hammer that down? We didn't hammer it, but it'll happen okay. sometime in June. Yeah, I mean, my we can give my, it a tap. Yeah, my my recording uh, equipment is on the second floor of my house, so you know, got to get up there to get it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, you heard it here second. If you didn't hear our DSM five TR episode, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are going on hiatus for the summer to, as we said, enjoy enjoy summer vacation and also for Joanna to go on maternity leave. And yep. yeah, we were going to be back in September with some amazing episodes from some amazing guests with awesome content. And then we are diving into spooky series part two in October. Whoa. She said boldly, <laughs> not wanting to watch horror movies. <laughs> yeah. I yep. think that's the, the keeping of the house is done. All right, so uh, stay tuned after the break for our lesson for today.
And now it's time for our lesson. Bum, bum. The lesson is compiled facts describing history and or current events, good and bad, in order to give context for the field our guest works in. Our sources for today include EMDR Institute Incorporated from emdr.com, wikipedia.org, ever faithful, and adelphipsych.sg. No trigger warning today, so listen at your leisure. First, Joanna, we're going to talk about what EMDR therapy is. I'm excited. Let me know. It's exciting. All right. So eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy is a form of psychotherapy in which the person being treated recalls distressing experiences whilst doing bilateral stimulation, such as side-to-side eye movements or tapping on either side of the body. In 2013, the World Health Organization practice guidelines state that EMDR, quote, is based on the idea that negative thoughts, feelings, and behaviors are the result of unprocessed memories. The treatment involves standardized procedures that include focusing simultaneously on spontaneous associations of traumatic images, thoughts, emotions, and bodily sensations, and bilateral simulation that is commonly in the form of repeated eye movements. So I recently got trained in EMDR therapy, Yay. as I've said on the show, completed that in January, the basic training. Um, what I, what stands out to me most, excuse me, what stands out to me the most about EMDR therapy is that it does, it um, humanizes as we, we, as we like to call behaviors, as clinicians can sometimes be a little judgmental of what a client is dealing with. It puts a lot of, it puts history to maybe a behavior that, um, can make a presentation challenging. It's It really humanizes clients. It's amazing. Let's talk about the history of EMDR therapy. In 1987, which was a very important year because that was mm. the year I was born. In 1987, <laughs> Francine Shapiro was walking in the park when she realized that eye movements appeared to decrease the negative emo- emotion associated with her own distressing memories. So in one of her books, she actually talks about thinking about something that was making her anxious. And then she just, she talks about how she would just experiment on her body all the time because she was in research. She just wanted to like test things on herself, like not in a harmful way, just in a, what does this do? So she was doing the eye movements and she was like, wait a second, I feel less distress. So she assumed that eye movements had a desensitizing effect. And when she experimented with this, she found that others also had the same response to eye movements. It became apparent, however, that eye movements by themselves did not create comprehensive therapeutic effects, and so Shapiro added other treatment elements, including a cognitive component, and developed a standard procedure that she at the time called eye movement desensitization. So yes, do not do eye movements on your own after Mm -hmm. you hear me reading this paragraph. Thank you. Uh, Shapiro then conducted a case study and a controlled study to test the effectiveness of EMD, which is the eye movement desensitization. In the controlled study, she randomly assigned 22 individuals with traumatic memories to two conditions. Half received EMD and the other half received the same therapeutic procedure with imagery and detailed description replacing the eye movements. She reported that the EMD resulted in significant decreases in ratings of subjective distress and significant increases in ratings of confidence in a positive belief. Patients in the EMD condition reported significantly larger changes than those in the imagery condition. Shapiro wrote, quote, a single session of the procedure was sufficient to desensitize subjects' traumatic memories, as well as dramatically alter their cognitive assessments. Unfortunately, Shapiro has often been erroneously cited as claiming that quote, EMDR can cure post-traumatic stress disorder in one session, end quote. 
Shapiro never made the statement. What she actually wrote was that EMD, that the EMD procedure serves to desensitize the anxiety, not to eliminate all PTSD related symptomology and complications, nor to provide coping strategies for the victims and reported an average treatment of time of five sessions to comprehensively treat PTSD. 1989 was the first year that controlled studies investigating the treatment of PTSD were published. Besides Shapiro's article, three other studies were published. The Brahm et al. study compared the results of psychodynamic therapy, hypnotherapy, and desensitization and provided an average of 16 sessions. The Cooper and Klum study compared flooding to standard care in a veterans administration hospital. The Keen et al. Uh, 1988 1989 study compared flooding to a waitlist control for veteran participants and reported moderate clinical effects after 14 to 16 sessions. So look at all these populations we're talking about. I, yeah. I know it can get it can get tedious when we're just listing studies, right? But if you listened to our last episode about the updates to the DSM-5TR, you heard about how the addition to PTSD in 1980 was uh, received mixed reviews, you know, this actual classification of this disorder, and even expanding it from veterans was, you know, it wasn't really received wholly by the community with open arms. So she's, she's, she's establishing a treatment for PTSD only nine years after this very controversial diagnosis was put out. So keep that in mind what we're dealing with in the times of our field. Shapiro continued to develop this treatment approach, incorporating feedback from clients and other clinicians who were using EMD. In 1991, she changed the name to Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing, or EMDR, to reflect the insights and cognitive changes that occurred during treatment, and to identify the information processing theory that she developed to explain the treatment effects. Because EMDR therapy was an effective treatment, achieving results was very quickly Excuse me. Because EMDR therapy was an efficient treatment, achieving results very quickly for many clients, Shapiro felt an ethical obligation to teach other clinicians so that individuals suffering from PTSD could find relief. However, P mm. However, EMDR was still experimental since it had not yet received independent confirmation through other controlled studies. She attempted to resolve this ethical dilemma by teaching EMDR only to licensed clinicians and by ensuring that everyone who learned the approach was trained by the EMDR Institute in the same model. That way, safeguards would be in place. Clinicians would be taught to inform clients of its, of its status, and a feedback system would also allow everyone that, has, that was gained... Oh my gosh. Just <laughs> right. a feedback. Thank you. I didn't want to do that whole one. And a feedback system would allow everyone that was trained to get the most up-to-date information. In 1995, after other controlled studies had been published, the label, quote, experimental, end quote, and the training restrictions were removed and a textbook of procedures was published. Shapiro has been severely criticized by some of her method of dissemination because she initially restricted training and because she taught an experimental procedure. However, these critics ignore the APA ethics code mandated responsibilities of an innovator to determine training practices. And the fact that even as late as 1998, there were no treatments for PTSD that were designated was well established and empirically validated. At that time, independent reviews for the Clinical Psychology Division of the American Psychological Association identified three treatments with probable efficacy. These were EMDR, exposure therapy, and stress inoculation therapy. 
Since the initial studies were published in 1989, hundreds of case studies have been published. And there have been numerous controlled outcome studies. These studies have demonstrated EMDR's effectiveness in PTSD treatment, and EMDR is now recognized as efficacious in the treatment of PTSD. Yes. Despite its demonstrated effectiveness similar to most new approaches in psychotherapy, EMDR has been surrounded by controversy. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. Sarah, let's talk about the history of art therapy, a little bit, br- a little bit of a brush up for us, uh, pun intended, cool, cool. I'm assuming. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, now it is. Fuck yeah. Brush it up. <laughs> the formal practice of art therapy had its origins in mid 20th century Europe, with the coining of the term being attributed to British artist Adrian Hill in 1942. At a time where thousands suffered in sanatoriums from tuberculosis, it was observed that drawing and painting was a creative outlet for patients that provided them the freedom their confines did not. The practices in art therapy soon spread to mental hospitals through the work of Edward Adamson, who observed and further studied the connection between artistic expression and emotional release. The British Association of Art Therapists was founded in 1964. Art therapy was being practiced in the United States around the same time with the most influential North American practitioners being educator Margaret Naumberg and artist Edith Kramer. Naumberg linked art therapy to the expression of the unconscious through free association. Kramer became an important figure in laying the groundwork for art therapy education. The American Art Therapy Association was founded in 1969. More organizations around the world modeled themselves after these associations, including the Professional Association for Art Therapy in Australia, New Zealand, and Singapore, which has evolved in practice and its geographic scope since its inception in 1987. Stay tuned after the break as we talk to our interviewee for this episode. As a board-certified art therapist and an EMDR therapy consultant with a thriving therapy practice, Jocelyn Fitzgerald helps her clients and workshop participants work through past trauma using a combination of art therapy and EMDR. Jocelyn directs her clients to tap into their own creativity and healing. Empowering youth is one of Jocelyn's greatest passions. She ran a variety of healing-centered group art projects and led guided visualizations on creativity with schools and nonprofits. One of her most transformative experiences centered around training paraprofessionals to help traumatize Eritrean youths in an Ethiopian refugee camp using art therapy. Amid the pandemic to help kids find calm using mindfulness and art, Jocelyn co-authored and illustrated, quote, colorful place, mindful story and art, end quote, which is a Kindle bestseller. She co-edited and wrote the chapter of EMDR Creative Art Therapies, a pioneering textbook exploring the healing power when creative art therapy and EMDR are integrated. Rutledge is releasing a book in summer uh, 2022. A clinical supervisor, Jocelyn also creates art tools that teach mental health concepts distributed through her Etsy shop, Colorful Therapy Tools. When she's not working or creating art, You can find Jocelyn hiking in the beautiful Pacific Northwest Mountains or enjoying dance parties with her little family. Jocelyn, welcome. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you for having me. Wow. You guys are impressive. That whole history was so well done. Amazing. Yeah. Well, they're two very exciting topics for both of us. I mean, as we both have, you know, that training in creative arts therapy 
And, you know, with my training in EMDR and also just all of the cool stuff that you're bringing to the table, it was exciting to do. (laughs) Yeah. It's so fun. Isn't it fun to be able to be creative with our field? Like it's always growing and changing and there's Mm -hmm. so many cool ways to combine things that we do and help people. And it's all a science experiment, right? Like life in general is just trying out different things and seeing what works. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah. Broad strokes question. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your work that you do now? Sure. Uh, So right now I have a private practice. I'm in Vancouver, Washington, and I am so happy because almost like 98% of my practice is back to being in person after the pandemic. And I, I think part of this is because I have a huge glitter collection. My clients (laughs) are really excited about doing glitter art again and all my art supplies. So that's been so fun just to see people and get that live connection back. Um, and I, I, you know, I've, I've, wrote, I've been writing this book, combining art therapy and EMDR with an amazing team of um, women. We had a man, but he wasn't able to complete it. So it's all women right now. And that's been really fun. Um, and then I also have my little children's book, which I, you know, we promote here and there. And that has also been just a labor of love. And, and then I have a 12 year old son and I have a, a one and a half year old golden retriever puppy who keeps oh me goodness. on my toes. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. That is an amazing family. That yeah, sounds thanks. great. And my husband too. He's great. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny that you mentioned, you know, the, the writing that you're doing. Cause when I was, when we were putting this history lesson together, I found one article that was easy to find on art therapy and EMDR. And I was like, oh, this will be perfect. Oh, wait, Jocelyn authored it. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so you, you are, you have some, it seems like there's some prominence since you have the consultation in EMDR. And I know that when we spoke on the phone, you had just helped uh, complete a training in Philadelphia as well. Um, Oh yeah. 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 Well, I just, I was a facilitator for um, one of those big EMDR trainings. Yeah. So it's, that helps keep my, my knowledge base fresh. And, you know, you were talking about how Francine Shapiro, started by being on a walk. And when I go to some of these trainings, I hear different things. Some, somebody recently said it was a volleyball game. She was watching back and forth and noticing the ball and she noticed things changing in her body. So yeah, these I, going to these trainings and helping with them, it just helps me learn and remember why I love EMDR so much. And yeah, mm-hmm. it is kind of a controversial field. Like I, I've even had to kind of sell it to some clients. They're like, this just seems like hocus pocus, right? You're going to wave a wand in front of my eyes and I'm going to feel better. Um, But it really, like you guys cited, it has so much amazing research backing it up, which really helps, Mm -hmm. you know, to sell it to clients now. Absolutely. It's such a gift now. I mean, you know, especially understandably and thankfully clients do a lot of work in research of things that can help them. And that if you do give, if you do cite that and say, listen, this is backed, I'm going right. to send you the first 10 articles that I can look up here. That can be right. really helpful. You're right. Yeah. And then I feel like using it with kids and teens, it's just a little bit of magic because it works so quickly. And, and, you know, the work I did in Africa was working with art and EMDR um, and the teens were doing their own bilateral tapping. They did butterfly tapping and it was just incredible the results we had after two days of doing this this intensive training mm-hmm. and this intensive work for them. 
So it really does work. Yeah. If anybody's on the fence about doing an EMDR training, I highly recommend it. Yeah, oh, that's, that's incredible. So and for, for listeners, the butterfly tapping is when you cross the arms over your chest in an X and you're just tapping your shoulders. So you're achieving the same bilateral stimulation. And I'm doing it, of course, as I'm describing <laughs> it. <laughs> but if, you, if you're working in person or even virtually and following the hand movements, uh, you know, can be upsetting or for me, it made me nauseous. So the butterfly tapping was good for me. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people really like it. And I mean, I think yeah. it's something you can, you can teach your clients. Obviously you said, don't do your own eye movements, but mm -hmm. I do tell clients, like if you're having a hard time at school, you can, you can quietly imagine a peaceful place that you've been or someplace you've seen in a movie and imagine that. And then you can just tap into it calmly and nobody has to know, mm -hmm. and you can start to feel better in your body. Yeah. You know, we imagine scary stuff all the time, right? Like we imagine failing a test or doing a presentation um, and our body has a strong reaction to that. Like we get sweaty, mm -hmm. right? And nervous and all this stuff happens, but we can also do the same with calm and, and peaceful imagery and, and even creating an art piece around a peaceful scene of being in the mountains for me, hiking in the mountains or dance party with my family. Yeah. And then tapping into that. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do really want to hear more about your glitter collection. I don't know how that's going to trans yeah. translate into podcasting. <laughs> yeah. But I also want to know how you link art therapy to EMDR. It's it's so interesting and yeah. obviously cutting edge. Thanks. Well, well, I can talk about the project in Africa because that was the beautiful link for me of the two. So that pro um, protocol is called um, IGTP, which stands for Integrative Transformative Oh my gosh, I'm going to forget it. Oh, I'll have to look it up. Can I cite it? Can I send it to you guys? Yeah. yeah um, but basically what you do is you draw four squares on a sheet of paper and then you, you teach the group about the suds, which is the subjective units of distress. So zero is no disturbance and 10 is the highest. And then you ask them to run a movie in their mind of the traumatic scene. And if it's a group, like for the refugees, it was their refugee experience. So fleeing from Eritrea, and then they all came to Ethiopia. And then they pick the most distressing scene for them. And they draw it in that first square. They letter that square A, they draw it, and then they look at it and notice what they feel without judgment. And then they write that little subjective units of distress, zero to 10. And they put a little box in the bottom right-hand corner. And then they look at their art that they've drawn and then they tap for however long feels right in their body. And then again, you say, okay, whatever comes up next, I want you to draw it in the next square over, which is square letter B. They draw it and then again, subjective units of distress. And then again, you tap and you do that four times. And then you flip the paper over and you draw your future. It doesn't have to be positive. It can be whatever it is. And then you do that. The, the true protocol, you do that for three whole rounds. So that's about three hours of work. And then mm -hmm. the next day you do another three whole rounds just around that one experience. So um, Dr. Nacho Herrero created this. He's from Mexico City and he's done it all around the world for natural disasters. But I was so touched by it because I'm like, this is art and EMDR. And nobody had really talked about the art component. And I, I don't think they... Like, I really love the art part of it. I don't think they know enough about the art or realize how powerful it is to create art 
and how it's activating all these areas of the brain and it's healing and it's creating this new narrative and new perspective. So to me, like that was just such an exciting discovery that um, people were doing art and EMDR together and having great, amazing results too. Again, that the research that he's done is just incredible. And then we also did research too. So we did a, a post test after we left um, and had great results. And then we trained the paraprofessionals. That was the other thing I loved was that we wanted our work to continue on after we left. So we trained paraprofessionals within the camp so they could keep doing that protocol whenever they needed to. And it's, you know, it's relatively simple and, and relatively safe too. And, and then we were available to them. We created a Facebook page, a private page, so they could reach out. And I still have contact with a lot of the, the paraprofessionals there that we worked with. I love that passing down of knowledge. You know, I mean, in, yeah. in so many fields that have a heavy, well, most fields have a heavy research base, but there can really be this kind of gatekeeping about knowledge. But mm-hmm. yeah. a lot of times in the clinical sense, it's it's just all about sharing and wanting to have those resources dispersed. That's really great to hear about y'all just being like, listen, okay, this is how we did it. Yep. And this is how you can get continued support from us. It's incredible. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I felt like that was yeah. so important. You know, because it's one thing to go and like and and to help people, but then it just ends. And I don't know, it just felt like silly to not actually train people on this protocol. And luckily, we got yeah. permission from Dr. Herrera, who created this, and mm-hmm. he was able to help us too along the process. Okay, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. Great. Of course. Can you talk a little bit about EMDR with kids in your private practice and how that looks? Yeah. So. Um, you know, it's like just recently I had a session and I just asked somebody about, um, a fear they had around something in the the dark. It was something about being in the dark and they Mm -hmm. were able to do art around that fear. And then we, we, I gave him, I have these little buzzies and he was able to just tap in with the buzzies after he would do the art and sit Mm -hmm. and notice what he was feeling um, with, with kids, you don't always have to have the negative cognition because sometimes that will be a confusing piece. Like, well, I didn't really do anything wrong to be afraid of the dark. Right. But, but the belief was more of like, well, if I'm in the dark, I'm going to die. Right. So. Yeah, yeah. Right. Could you clarify the verbiage of negative cognition for folks listening? Yeah. Yeah. So usually when something, something bad happens and there's a stressor and there's an overwhelm, there is a negative belief within that. Um, oftentimes it's, I'm going to die or I'm not safe or I'm not worthy of love. Um, so in EMDR, you have these, it's like a recipe, you follow these steps. So you ask for that negative cognition or with kids, I'll say a negative belief about the experience. And then you also ask for a positive cognition. So um, what would you prefer to believe about yourself and that experience um and then for for like the fear of the dark well it's not real or i'm okay i'm i'm um i'm safe now and then you ask an you ask a bunch of scaling questions in emdr um it's called the validity of cognition the next question which means how true does that positive belief feel like Mm -hmm. for this kiddo i'm safe now in the dark right then and there when we first started it might not feel very true so one out of seven seven is completely true one's completely false for him it was like a two but then as you progress with the bilateral tapping or the eye movements 
um, and you get to the very end, then you check back in with that earlier belief, the validity of cognition, how true it feels, feels and you can see the change, which is so cool mm-hmm. about EMDR. You really get to do a couple checks before you're done. You really know when you've completed that target. And that's, that's one of the ways that, that you find out. Yeah. The, the surprise that you can see on the client's face that something is, <laughs> something is uh, working, you know, and it, they talk about the speed of which EMDR therapy can, can provide treatment yeah. as well. It's really nice. And yeah. I mean, you're really, you're really talking a lot about how this can really attract clients that are both, you know, the emmanuelized approach appeals to them and a more improvisational approach because EMDR, you can improvise so much within these steps and you can add so much of your own touch. And it's, you know, as long as we're being safe, it is what's going to be effective. Right. Right. And I, I would say um, as a consultant, like I would say, learn the protocol and learn it really well. And then you can start to really deviate and bring in your own practice, but knowing the protocol really well will help. And I think people often find it EMDR doesn't work when they deviate too much too soon. Mm -hmm. So I would say, yeah, get a good trainer, get a good training and then um, go from there. Was that your experience with EMDR too? But my experience with training was really great. I mean, for folks that are listening and maybe thinking about getting into the training, you are kind of tossed into it fairly quickly. Like you, the first, so the first training weekend, you have the first four hours of the day where you are learning. And the second half of the day is you are either facilitating EMDR, receiving it or observing it. And then you rotate and then you, you get the next role. So you are trying it and doing it immediately. So you're getting a handle on it as you're learning it. It's, it's really incredible. And you are required to also meet with a person. You're required to have consultation sessions as well. And the person that I have found to help with consultation is so helpful and empathetic and has a similar learning style as me. Um, I've just met a lot of very cool people in the field in general. It's been very helpful. Yeah. As a new practitioner. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a great community, right? Mm-hmm. And getting a good facilitator to help you after that consultation, those consultation hours is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And practicing too. You know, I, I don't know if you practice, well, you did practice in your training, but finding a partner to practice with too can be really helpful for people that are just starting mm-hmm. out. Yeah. yeah, definitely. But I, I think, um, yeah, for kids, EMDR is amazing and, and using art, obviously. I think EMDR, the hardest part with kids is that it can be a little bit of a hard sell if you just do straight EMDR because I think kids really want to talk to you. They want to connect or with me. It's like they want to do art. Um, and so even like this recent experience I had, I let the kiddo do art. Well, he had the buzzies. You can't hold them in your hands, but he put them under his legs. So he's sitting in a chair and they went under his legs kind of close to his knees. And then I could just turn on this little button and they would buzz for back and forth. And then he could do art. Um, and he did great. We saw, you know, because we ask that subjective units of distress, we saw the suds come way down towards the end of it. He didn't get all the way to a zero, but your brain keeps processing after. And my hope is that next time I see him, it will be lower. And if not, then we just go right back in and keep working on it until it comes down. Yeah. So I think it's a great protocol for kids and for teens too. I see a lot of teens that self-harm and then, um, you know, a lot of anxiety right now with our our young teens and sadness and depression. Um, And so I just feel like talk therapy is so great at looking at patterns, 
But if there's trauma, I often tell them like, you know, patterns and communication styles are in the mind, but if there's trauma, that's really deep in the brain and talk therapy doesn't get to it as well as something like EMDR, brain spotting in art, I think in music, you know, it, it activates the brain in a different way. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not that, uh, I'm not EMDR trained. So I'm just like really soaking it in. I'm like, okay, when am I going to sign up next for my <laughs> EMDR <Right>. training? <laughs> well, and I know, and I feel like with EMDR, it kind of is alphabet soup. There's all these letters, right? And I even think the name is a really hard name. And then, yeah, I don't know. I felt like when I first learned it, it was a bit overwhelming. So maybe not when you're pregnant, but maybe like yeah. a couple years in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's great. And, and yeah, I just, I'm, I'm constantly amazed at how well it works for, for people mm -hmm. that have suffered for years and years with, with PTSD and, and, you know, that they can start sleeping well, they can go places that they weren't able to go before and um, just have a new, a new perspective on life and that fear just really, really goes down quite a bit. And, and sometimes, you know, altogether is gone after a good, a good chunk of sessions. Yeah, I have some family members who had gotten, who had received EMDR for like complex PTSD and it was extremely helpful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that makes it really fun to be a therapist too, right? When you're like, wow, I get to have a front row seat and see people really get better. I think I, I joke sometimes that I would, I maybe would be a hairdresser now if I wasn't doing EMDR because I really get to see these transformations happen with some really complex trauma and it just feels so good. And I know I also feel like sometimes I, I can be a little bit, um, I try not to be pushy or bossy, but I really do try to educate my clients, even the ones that are like, I don't ever want to do EMDR. Just keep your mind open, you know, go look at the research, talk to people that have done it. Like your family, you said had such a positive experience. Yeah. And with kids that are also kind of like, well, I'm not really that interested. I'll just say, we'll just do it for like 10, 15 minutes a session. You know, it doesn't have to be the whole session. We'll just spend a part of our time together. And because kids process so much quicker, it, it really doesn't have to be your whole hour session doing EMDR. Mm. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit about your Etsy shop, which I'm so excited to have found? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and it came about because of some of these complex concepts from EMDR. So one of the things I mentioned was that uh, validity of cognition. So one is completely true. No, one is completely false. Seven is completely true. See, I still get them mixed up. And so I created an art piece that was a seed. And then it went all the way to seven, which was a big sunflower. I created it for my clients. And I was like, you guys, this is what I'm asking when I asked the validity of cognition. And they're like, oh, that makes sense. And then the other scaling question is the subjective units of distress. So then I created art that was like from zero, it was calm water all the way up to 10, which was like a tidal wave and thunder and lightning. And, and then I was just using these ideas with my clients, my art, and I showed some of my therapist friends and they're like, well, you should put that on Etsy. And just see what happens. And it was another like pandemic project where I'm like, okay, why not? You know, if, even if I just get a couple sales, they're instant downloads, which means um, 
I don't do anything. Like people just pay a couple dollars and they download my art. And it's been so much fun. It's so fun getting those little emails every day. Like, <laughs> you made, congratulations, you made another sale. And I think I'm like, gosh, anyone that's in grad school to become a therapist, like all these great concepts that you learn if you create tools for yourself, why not put it on Etsy and just share it with other people and they can use it and you can make money. It's, you know, it's that kind of evergreen concept in business, which I just think is so fun. Yeah. And I love, I love making art for myself. And so um, it's kind of been my art therapy too, just making these little tools. That's amazing. Thanks. Yeah. Cause we, we work. So, I mean, I'm just thinking as a creative art therapist, we work so hard to make these really cool interventions that are so specific to our population. Like why not, why yeah. not benefit? Why not have that benefit everyone else as well? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's been overall so, so positive. And I've met people like somebody just recently from Iceland was like, can we translate your work into Icelandic? I don't know what the language is, but I was yeah, like, yeah, Iceland. as long as I can come and see you guys and have coffee. Cause I've been, that's on my bucket list to have Icelandic coffee. <laughs> and so they were, yeah, it was a great connection. So it's been really fun. I highly recommend that for you guys, for any therapist or anyone that just loves to be creative and create concepts for people. I mean, it doesn't cost you anything. I mean, I think they take 20 cents for each time you make a post and maybe they take a small percentage, but it's not much. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So fun. Yeah. I know I had a lot of fun making like <laughs> we, we can cut this out but <laughs> I had so much fun making um like worksheets and all this stuff for like um for all my groups so that was a lot of fun I miss oh, yeah. I do miss groups uh being in private yeah. practice mm -hmm. you could still do them yeah do you have any interest in doing them again oh yeah absolutely yeah yeah I'm, I'm hoping to expand after after my maternity leave maybe expanding to groups oh yeah 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 I know groups are so powerful. I think I just did a talk at campus well, where I live. There's a school district I did a talk for, and um, it was just for parents about anxious teens using art and mindfulness. And I brought in some art that they could do and they were having so much fun. And, and then I had them connect and I was like, I'm just going to kind of toss my script out the door and just have them connect and do more art and go deeper within that. And they loved it. And it was just such a good reminder for me of how powerful groups are. And I mean, they didn't need my, you know, my expertise or my wisdom. They just needed to connect with each other. And art was just such a great tool for them to do that with. And it was so easy. I had them do scribble drawings and then find something in the scribble and then, and then bring it out so we could see what it was and then talk about how that image that they found reflected their life now. And it was just like incredible stuff all over coming out. So I don't know. It was a good reminder for me too of how much I love groups and how I, I really want to get back into doing more groups. I feel like life has been kind of weird, right? With the pandemic yeah. and all that's happening. Definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's so, it's so I, fun. Yeah. yeah. To like see connections. Be, I mean, like, like you were saying, just like see connections being made in the group and people like yeah. working off of each other. It's, it's so cool. Oh yeah. I sat with this one dad. I couldn't believe how many dads were at this, this little training thing. Um, but he didn't have a partner. So I was like, Hey, I'll be your partner. And he just like, he looked at me and he's like, you know, I thought I was coming to this event for my kids, but I actually think my wife sent me here for me because 
I need more art and creativity in my life. And I was like, wow, what a great like gift that I got to sit with him and hear that and um, recognize. Sorry, there's my dog. It's okay. It's adding to our flavor. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> if this yeah. wasn't nap time for my dog, we'd probably hear her. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, I, my favorite part of groups is that piece where you know, I feel like when we're in session, we kind of, we hear something from a therapist and, you know, we, we can trust them to a certain degree because we pay them for a service and we have a connection, but sometimes it's like, you'd like to bounce things off of your non-therapist friends as well. Like my therapist said this, what do you think about this? And just kind of processing, but you get to do that in group. You actually get to like kind of suss through what you feel is actually legitimate and maybe actually applies to you. Yeah. I, yeah, and yeah. we just need to facilitate community in any in any possible form. Gosh, um, so true. especially. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and the best. I mean, I think this goes to EMDR too. The best therapy is when people come to their own conclusions on their own, right? Like their brain is doing the work, and they're like, "Oh, like it really wasn't my fault that this happened," or. Um, I really did do the best I could. And I think that happens in group two and they're seeing it reflected in others. And then with EMDR, you know, we really get to kind of step back and let their brain do the work. Which mm-hmm. It's just really fun when you, when you don't have to be. And, and I just don't think therapists, you, yeah, obviously we don't know the answers like the client knows and then their peers know. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, and and pa- those... Empowering them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. empowering them when so many have maybe disempowered them you know we we can we don't have to be someone that comes in with all of the you know the language that's inaccessible and um this kind of like I know more I know better than you because of the the placard and the degrees I have right you know right. giving them the knowledge and just telling them to do with it what they will or letting them know that they already have the knowledge they just need to reframe it a little bit oh yes. so cool that's so cool right mm-hmm. I love it and it really sticks in your mind those times. Like, like I can remember times when clients have been like, oh, yes. And you're like, yes, thank you. Right? This is now a forever memory for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I agree. I agree. I know I had this one group when I was in California working and it was um, teenage boys and girls. And there was a boy that was <clears throat> a part of a group, like a Eskinhead group. And he was a really tough kid and there was a girl that was Latinx and she was lesbian out in the group and she he was talking about smoking and she confronted him and it was so powerful because he actually heard it and he's like yeah you're right and she said something like you're too smart to do this and I kind of held my breath like is he gonna freak out on her or is he gonna take this in and he took it in and it was like for her, it was so profound because she had a voice and he heard it. And then for him too, it was like, it wasn't a therapist saying, oh, you shouldn't smoke, right? It was a kid, another teenager. I don't know. I just love, I love that group dynamic when things happen like that and it's a bit of magic and you're like, yeah, mm-hmm. that is exactly what, what he needed and what she needed too. Yeah. Yeah. And this is making me nostalgic for groups. Right. I know <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There are a lot. There are a lot, but uh Yeah. I think that's why I stopped too, because of the um just organizing schedules and 
just felt like, and then people wouldn't show up and then charging them for not showing up. And yeah, that part I did not enjoy about groups. Yeah. But I think if I did it again, I would probably be like, everybody just needs to pay up front. And then um, if you can't come, you can't come. And then it wouldn't be stressful for me trying to refund or, not, you That's know. a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Not make my very good idea. idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just love the like camaraderie from groups. Like if you have like a long standing group, like I, cause I worked with seniors and like, we had this one group on like Wednesday mornings that was like the improv group. And like, everyone was like oh. very, you know, supportive of each other. They were worried when they weren't there. And like, we were able to do some really cool stuff because they were already into doing music therapy so like we were able to really be experimental which is like the coolest place to be with a group oh that's so cool yeah love it yeah so Jocelyn what what got you into the field in the first place I mean you've done all this amazing work what was the initial catalyst um well I was I went to school undergrad in Santa Barbara and I was teaching um I was teaching art to autistic men and I noticed that when I would teach and we would paint together there was this um, transition where they would make eye contact they would have the conversation would open up more there was like a relaxation in the room that happened and I just kind of noted that how cool it was that that when we did art we really connected and then I happened upon a film at school it was called the living museum and it was all about an art therapist from Rochester, New York, who was um, working with people that had schizophrenia. And he was taking, helping them to create art shows. And I was like, wow, there's actually a field that combines, I love psychology and I loved art. So, and I loved helping people. And I was like, wow, I could really combine these two. And that was the start. And then I found a program that offered the, it's, the LMFT marriage and family therapy degree and the art degree, art therapy degree. Mm. So it just mm. felt like a perfect fit for me. Yeah. And I can't really imagine like, yeah, just doing straight talk therapy without the art. I, I love it mm. so much. And it, and for me too, as a teenager, I was, a, I had a lot of anxiety and anger and I just, art was so helpful in keeping me grounded and saving me from terrible things. And so I just, I knew I believed in, in the power of it for me. And um, yeah, it just was a great fit for, for who I am. That's so cool. Yeah. I feel like it's very similar for me as far as a music therapist, like kind of blending like, oh, this is so cool together. Also music helped me. So yeah. How did you guys become music therapists? You're both music therapists, right? Yeah. Yeah. Basically that by, yeah. by trade. Yeah. By trade. Yeah. I, I don't practice it really anymore. I still have the title, but yeah, similar to Joanna. I was like, I am really very passionate about two of these fields. How can I converge them? Right. And then I really, I loved that natural progression from music therapy into talk therapy and into, into like feminist therapy and into, you know, anti, anti-hustle therapy, like all of these things that I also picked up from the music world yeah. too, yeah. that were helpful to me at a time. And I was just like, you know what, this is a different chapter. Now I'm going to use and bring things that I learned into this new port, this new portion. And it's, it's been a, it's been a journey yeah. and I'm very grateful for it. Yeah. yeah. 
it's also cool um using things that were maybe negative from my music journey in therapy and music therapy like perfectionism like how can we use Mm -hmm. perfectionism and music to help kind of break these you know break the binds that perfectionism puts on us right right oh and I talk about that a lot in art too perfectionism gets in the way yes and I have a lot of adult clients that will say I'm never I'm never going to do art with you and I and then I say like why what happened you know and it's like well I got made fun of in in first grade by my teacher because I colored outside the lines and I'm like well you know what this is all the more reason to, to push through it and to sit with that discomfort and work work to see yourself grow because life is hard right and art it can be just an expression of that hardness yeah, yeah. and and then we can do emdr too you can mix it do a little yeah. emdr on that trauma of that awful teacher and then go and try and do some art and see what you notice yeah i've been doing a lot of um bilateral scribbles with clients and mm-hmm. i'll ask them to pick a song um two different songs sometimes of different beats different genres and and practice doing the bilateral scribbles to the music and it's really interesting what happens and then again I always ask them to step back see what you see in it how does this relate to you you know using using that non-dominant hand is so great in art probably in music too because it really activates both hemispheres of the brain where when you just use your Mm -hmm. dominant hand you're only activating the opposite hemisphere of that hand so you're actually training your brain to think more creatively, which I just think we all need in life. Yeah. I was just telling my brother-in-law, you know, if if aliens come down, I don't think we should show them our technology. I think we should show them our creativity, like, you know, our art, our music, our dancing, our poetry, like that's who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of what we're seeing now is this, surge of technology and a kind of a disconnect i think technology can be great like it's amazing that we can talk right now and see each other yeah. but um i think what is happening what i see in a lot of my teens and youth is just this disconnect from themselves and creativity really helps you connect back into yourself and who you are yeah yeah and it, it definitely fosters that you know that creative well not the creativity it fosters that curiosity that is I mean yeah. so beneficial in EMDR but just in therapy across the board just right. training ourselves to be less judgmental of things that happen that are actually very appropriate responses or really our body and our minds doing what they should be doing yeah. and we bring in judgment because of how we think something should look um, right. yeah and creativity is definitely if you are being more open-minded you're going to be able to be more curious right right Mm. right and if you have a therapist there to guide you you can you can step back a bit and have that um awareness of that internal critic that comes up and when it gets activated what it's saying because you can be pretty sure that it's probably showing up in other areas of your life too not just in therapy right and then Mm -hmm. working with that that critical thinking of challenging that working through it in a really, you know, in relatively safe environment can be so healing. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Like I'm, I'm, I usually do. How do you approach self-care? Oh, good question. I have a very uh, kind of structured morning routine. So I wake up at like 
4.30 a.m. <laughs> because I love my self-care so much and nobody's awake. And I do journaling. I do some um, art, usually some sort of art every day. And then I try to meditate for at least 10 minutes. And then I exercise. I love to do cardio. And it just seems like if I can get that in in the morning, my self-care in the morning, I the rest of my day is just smoother and better. And then I have also um, a group of therapist friends that we, we used to meet before the pandemic. We would do yoga together every Friday and we would do check-ins and that felt really supportive and we still connect. And then I have a couple other EMDR friends that we, we connect and talk about uh, how we can support each other. And then dance parties with my family always feel so good. We love music. My husband was a DJ, so he loves playing music for us. And um, I also really love to travel. Man, that's been so hard with the pandemic, but starting to change. And that feels really good to get back out to traveling. Yeah. And then walking. I have a dog, so he pushes me out the door every day. <laughs> yeah. I'm also oh, a fan awesome. of dance parties. I did, I had one with my dog this morning, so. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I know they're the best, right? Yeah. Yeah. So in my, in my version of that, what I do is with the cats, I just run through the house. Like we are in like a herd, <laughs> like either I'm, <laughs> either I'm chasing them or I'm being chased and we're all just like running around like wild animals through the house. And then afterwards I'm like, okay, well that was, Y'all, that's the exercise we are getting for the day from me. <laughs> yeah. Together. How many I like getting animalistic have? with them. Uh two. Two. They oh, are we are so we are great. we are cat parents. So that's yeah, so great. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I will never get another dog again. This is my last <laughs> <one>. <laughs> I will only have cats. I'm telling you, cats are so easy now. I recognize the importance of incredibly easy yeah i mean yeah. like emotionally not but <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> they are self-cleaning they yeah you really don't have to do much you just got to right. pay attention because they're also very good at hiding ailments but we don't we I, again i could write a second thesis of the day on the emotional stability of <laughs> felines oh, cats. Yeah. yeah yeah so this is this might be a this might, you can totally say no to answering this, but what do you think is something that would surprise our listeners about you? Um, Well, I think I'm a huge fan of the power of napping. I would talk a Mm -hmm. lot about naps. I'd be like, you guys, everyone should take a nap a day. I feel like our culture does not celebrate naps enough. I think they should be required in schools and colleges. I mean, I don't know. I also have it's almost like a superpower in that I can take a 20 minute nap and have full on dreams and then wake up feeling really good. I'm a terrible yeah. sleeper. So maybe that was my gift was that I can do power naps, but I, um, mm. I just like, I'll even lay on my office floor just if I have 10 minutes sometimes and take a nap. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking to the right people. Are you guys into naps too? <laughs> yes. As much as I can, as much as I can, but I might've yes. already taken a nap today. Who knows? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. The other thing I think I'm good at is finding things. Like my family loses stuff, and I just am really good at finding stuff. Yeah, I know. That's really neat. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and glitter. Um, I love glitter. I would say if you've never I really want I really want to see your glitter stash. I'm yes, really I will send Yeah, you feel free to too, send us please. a photo if you feel <laughs> comfortable will. with us posting it. And the, I, the I have them in like these little special jars or glass jars and they have a cork top, mm. which I would not recommend <laughs> because they're not super safe. Like I've had some fall and then it's just like the gift that keeps on giving because it even is coming out of the vacuum cleaner and it's everywhere. But um, watching a video on how glitter is made is absolutely fascinating. They come in like mm. these huge sheets and they cut them in tiny little squares. And I just think, I mean, glitter is so fun. I've had, you know, over the years, some really depressed clients and I pull out my glitter collection and it just, there's something about it that lights people up from the inside. Even if they create art with it, that's really depressing. It's still interesting to see glitter art from a a depressed point of view, Mm -hmm. which I still think um, it's just good for everyone. I don't know. Something about it. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I used to work really closely with the art therapist and I saw the the therapeutic benefit of glitter just like here it comes. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. It's so fun. My latest thing that I've been really into is I bought these little tiny glass again glass jars with a cork top and I'll, I have a ton of paint pens so you can write on glass with paint pens so I'll ask them to find their word that that they want to use for the week that they want to encircle in themselves. So for me, I did the word um, leap, like I want to kind of leap into life more. And then I have them, I put glitter, I fill it up with all this magic glitter. And then I put the cork on, I had the, it's decorated, I can send you guys a picture to see, but they each have their own little amulet that they take home with them. And that's their word and their glitter for the week. And they can sprinkle it on whatever they need, a little magic. And even my adult clients love it. Like, it's really fun. I, I'm also a big fan of bringing in um, unusual materials to create with. So we have a store called Scrap here, and it's all recycled materials, oh, books and tiles. That and is glass. so cool. So fun. And so I have a huge collection of just like a garage full of supplies that, you know, we can use. But it, and it does, it mixes well with EMDR to go back to the EMDR. Like I love... Um, part of what EMDR, part of the, one of the phases is really building resources. So what, 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 what is your power? What is your, what do you need? If you were to go back into this experience and you could bring anything that you needed to keep you safe, what would you bring? And they can create that with art. And then we have this, you know, like the amulet, they can bring that with them to their EMDR session and have that, that power that they want to hold on to while we do the EMDR. Cause EMDR is it's hard. It's work. It's not just waving a magic wand and feeling better. Like you, you know, you feel the feelings of that trauma. You're ringing that bell um, and you're bringing it up to the surface and then you're reprocessing it with the eye movements or the tapping or the tones, but it's intense work. So having those resources with you can be really helpful. Yeah. I know. And I mean, this might be everybody who's in the know, this is probably their favorite part, but for folks who don't know, resource development is great because a big part of it is just finding things that you already have and right. growing them um, right. and fostering them. And that is so right. awesome to let people know that stuff's already in there. Yeah. Like you are equipped and that, yeah. you know, that leans more to the side, you know, the negative cognition that a lot of people have, like, I'm not good enough. You know, I'm I'm not worthy of this. I can't do this. I don't have this in me. And when right. people just learn that some of these things are already in there, oh, 
I love that. I love Mm -hmm. that. I thought a lot about ancestry during the pandemic and thought about like, I had family that had tuberculosis, you know, and what they survived plagues that they survived. And I talk a lot about that with clients, like, yeah, your ancestors went through a lot of trauma, but they also were extremely powerful that they survived that you made it here. And so I'll do a lot of art around ancestors and bring in images and we'll take a photocopy and create art around it. I have one of my grandmas with Mod Podge on a jar and I can put a candle in it and, and just sit with that energy, that grandmother energy. And then, you know, and then again, you can go into that EMDR of that trauma and there's, you know, so much research now on epigenetics and how trauma can be passed down working. And we do even in EMDR, we do what's called a spec scan. So even imagining what trauma you experienced in utero, even though you can't, you know, explicitly remember it internally, you remember your body remembers that trauma and it's amazing what comes out in those sessions looking at that past that past sense of um what they experienced mm-hmm. it's so cool yeah 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 oh awesome yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, i'm i'm yeah it's so sorry <laughs> it's just very very cool the ancestor thing is amazing that is so cool it's been helpful for me to when I'm pregnant being like, this is just like so many people have had to do this to get to me. Like I can do this. (laughs) Right. Right. I know. I luckily I found a letter from my great, great grandmother and she lived in Russia and she, she died young at like in her thirties. But one of the things that she did was that she knew she was dying and she would go into the forest every day and just breathe the air. And now I go into the forest and I have this whole oh new God. experience of like my great, great grandmother is here and like that energy. And so I've created art around that too. And, and you know, and even looking around in nature, um, how things I, I'm from California where we have redwood trees and when one redwood tree dies, it falls over and then it creates like an angel of redwood trees around the dead trunk. So all the babies are feeding off the nutrients of the dead tree which I just, again, it's such a great metaphor. And so I've had clients create art around that. Like, how do you feed off that energy? What brings you strength from your ancestors that you can create art around and bring into our sessions together? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Stunning. It's stunning. Oh, oh, thank you for that. That was so beautiful. It's beautiful. But I I think it's also true. Yeah, go ahead. I think it's also just so important, like how many things can be brought into the therapeutic space and be so beneficial. I feel like sometimes with that gatekeeping or just with our own, you know, personal negative, you know, negative thoughts that that we don't embrace that creativity as therapists, even if we're not creative arts therapists, you know. Right, right. And following our clients' leads too. Like I learned so much from watching my clients I've gotten some of the best ideas around art from watching them. Like I, um, in this chapter in the book, when I was working with refugees here from Eritrea and States, I had popsicle sticks on the table one day and I didn't even think to have them create their home. But one of the boys just started randomly making a home and it was the home from Eritrea and it turned into, so he did it in individual session. And then I was like, we should do this as a group too. And he was into it. So then the whole group of boys created their homes and we created these amazing homes. It took us like three months to create. Each of them had their own home. 
And then they were like, we need lights. So I went to the Dollar Tree and I got all these tea tree lights that were, uh, you know, battery operated. And then they decorated all their houses with lights. And then we, one night we turned off the lights and we just sat around and we're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Your homes are here. Like I felt what it was like. And just that connection again, you know, with creativity and community. Just mm-hmm. yeah. My goodness. Yeah. 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 All right. So um, switch, switching gears again. Yeah. We're like yeah. flabbergasted uh, by how beautiful uh, that is. Are there any uh-huh. resources that you that you think are important for our listeners to know about? Well, the one of my favorites that I created, but that I just love is that window of tolerance. Um, mm-hmm. I love that concept. And I think it relates so much to what we do as therapists. And the window of tolerance, for if anybody doesn't know about it, was created by Dr. Daniel Siegel. And it's all about how we have these three windows inside of us. And uh, the middle window is the, the, the window where we want to hang out. So when I created my art piece around this, I created it like a camping scene and the weather is sunny and nice. And it's where we make good decisions. It's where we can think and kind of decide what we want to do next. But then the upper window is what we call hyper arousal. So that's fight or, or flee. And that's where I created like... Um, a storm and a fire, a tornado and lightning. And that's where we get, when we get activated, we get really angry, we wanna run, we wanna fight. Um, and that's often where we see a lot of, you know, our clients hang out or a lot of kids I work with hang out there. And then the bottom window is that hypo arousal and that's where we collapse into ourselves. And for that, I created images of a cave and snowflakes and, that's where um, oftentimes clients will go and they dissociate, they check out from themselves, they go into that cave. And a lot of times too, I'll see clients have been in that hyper arousal for a long time and they can't leave, they, they can't fight. And so then they just go way down into that collapse and they dissociate and check out. And what we really wanna do as therapists and um, what we want our clients to, to achieve is that middle window. And we wanna make that middle window as wide as possible so that they're not just popping out into that hyperarousal or, or going down into hypoarousal, that they're, they have a bunch of resources like we were talking about, all those resources, breathing, exercise, self-care, um, EMDR, all of that helps widen that window, art, music. Um, and so that one I love because clients will, I'll have them create their own windows and everybody has different things that they put in their windows or their spaces. Um, but then they hold on to that. They think about that and they can start to feel when they're starting to pop out or go up into the hyperarousal or go down into the hyperarousal. And they'll start to notice their system and they can start to act, activate all the tools that they have and all the things they already know um, and, and have an awareness that, that they can choose differently. They can build and they can get that, that middle window nice and strong and wide. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> you explained it perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so good. So we've got two uh, would you rathers. Uh, so the first question is, would you rather, uh, would you rather that's more geared towards teens or, mo- or just like more geared towards everyone? 
oh, everyone's fine. Okay. Yeah. All right. So would you rather live in the same town forever or have to move every two years? Oh, wow. What a great question. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I guess move because I could always come back and visit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Move. Yeah, I mean, for the last 10 years, I've, I have moved every three years and it, <laughs> it blows. So. <laughs> I, if I can pick that town and take vacations when I want and have the kind of schedule I want, I will, I will live in that same town, baby. Yeah. yeah. And if there's things in that town I want to run away from, I will influence to the most positive degree that I can and spread yeah. joy. <laughs> nice. I'm not moving every two years. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, Joanna, what about you? Yeah, I as someone also who had, who has moved so much, uh, yeah, I'm. I would if I could pick the town, it was a nice town. I would stay there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm also thinking about what like the dream town would be. Oh, I know what dream. What dream? But town we could. For me. But you have a town in mind, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Can you say what it would be? It would be Santa Cruz, yeah. California. Yeah. Oh, I love Santa Cruz. Yeah, yeah. me too. It's just yeah. like close to the beach. It's pretty chill there. That is yeah. my son's happy place. That is the best. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. The waves are perfect. They're super fun to ride. The rides are there. Yeah, the boardwalk yeah. is amazing. It's yeah, amazing. it was always when I, 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 um, my husband and I were long distance for a while and he's from California. So we would drive down to Monterey from San Francisco. We'd always stop in Santa Cruz for lunch and like be on the beat and it was just like oh I'm so excited to be near the ocean yeah such a cool place yeah Yeah, it's really cool have you been there Sarah no I haven't I've I've only been to San Francisco but what a cool connection that just was that there's (laughs) on this call we've been able to yeah you know make these safe these happy place connections that's so neat yeah Well, Jocelyn, thank you so, so much for joining us. What a pleasure. Yeah, um, what an amazing what would, discussion we've had. Yeah. What would yeah. you like to plug? Where can people find you online? What's your Etsy shop? Oh, yeah. give, give us all that info. So listeners. Okay. Can well, there's a great um, packet on my website for the book. It's called breatheartcom.com. And there's a free packet there. I think it's like 35 pages and it has a bunch of my art in it, different resources in there. And then um, the book is on Amazon or Barnes and Nobles and yeah. And Etsy shop too. I would love for people to check out Etsy and I would just love for people to message me if they have questions. I love connecting with people. Yeah. Yeah. And for a reminder for listeners, the, I I exit out of it. What is the name of your website and your Etsy shop? Oh yeah. So my other website, just my personal website is just my name, jocelynfitzgerald.com. The Mm -hmm. Etsy shop is called Colorful Therapy Tools. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Great. Yeah. Well, yeah, again, thank you so much. You know, we would love to have you back on the show. If any, if ever a time shows itself that would that would be great yeah i would love that yeah Yeah. all right join any any final thoughts or goodbyes (laughs) no i this is amazing yeah i agree well jocelyn best of luck and we will talk again soon all right thank you all right yeah all right (laughs) thank you for listening to the show be sure to subscribe rate and review us on stitcher spotify and apple podcasts 
You can check us out on Instagram at TNDPod, on Twitter at TNDPod1, as in the number one, or visit our website at TNDPodcast.com. If you would like bonus episodes, the ability to vote on which questions we ask our guests, history lessons, and so Mm. much more, Mm. head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash TNDPodcast. It's pretty cool. I update it. I like it. Uh, If you also would like to be on our show or have a question or a thought, please feel free to email us at therapistsnextdoor at gmail.com. That's therapist, plural, nextdoor at gmail.com. Sarah, do you have anything to plug? Hell yeah. I also love the Patreon. Joanna does a great job. We also have a new very fancy in our link tree uh, on our Instagram. We have a new very fancy guest application. So fill that out. It is easy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Follow me on Instagram at teletherapy with Sarah website is teletherapywithsarah.com. I offer coaching for the exploited therapists as well as therapy for professional millennials from working class backgrounds and find two blog posts a month. Ooh. It's exciting. We write. It's me. I say we, cause that's, you know, that's how we do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the end. Joanna, any, any plug? Yeah, my uh, my website is orianatherapy.com. Stay tuned. You heard it here, you know, coming in the fall. Maybe there'll be groups done by me. I enjoy doing groups. Who knows? Yeah, it's exciting. Uh, The future does. Yeah. What are we going to do? I don't know. (laughs) Until next, until next haunted time. Yes. We are your therapists next door. Bye. Bye. Oh, awesome.